Would you pray with me, please? Lord God, uh, thank you for uh, your great promises to your people. Thank you that we have you to look forward to, that we have a, a future that is secure in you. So Lord, as we stand here in this presence, and as that future is moving towards us, uh, we ask that you would speak in ways that uh, continue to prepare us uh, to inhabit that vision. That you would continue to uh, shape us and um, work in us in ways that help us to, um, to resemble you in this present age, even as we look forward to the fulfillment of that promise. Lord, uh, speak as we are gathered before you. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. I'd like to invite you, if you would, to uh, open your New Testament to Hebrews chapter 11. And I want to uh, read this portion of this really well-known passage together, sometimes called the uh, Great Hall of Faith the celebration of uh, all these great heroes of the faith. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning at verse 1, begins with a question. What is faith? It is the confident assurance that what we hope for is going to happen. It is the evidence of things that we cannot yet see. God gave his approval to people in days of old because of their faith. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, uh, that what we see now did not come from anything that can be seen. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. And God accepted Abel's offering to show that he was a righteous man. And although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us because of his faith. (coughs) It was by faith that Enoch was taken up into heaven without dying. Suddenly he disappeared because God took him. But before he was taken up, he was approved as pleasing to God. So you see, it is impossible to please God without faith. And anyone who wants to come to him must believe that there is a God and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. It was by faith that Noah built an ark to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God, he warned, uh, who warned him about something that had never happened before. By his faith, he condemned the rest of the world and was made right in God's sight. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his, as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land, God promised him, he lived there by faith, for he was like a foreigner living in a tent. And so did Isaac and Jacob, to whom God gave the same promise. Abraham did this because he was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. 
It was faith that Sarah, together with Abraham, uh, by faith that Sarah, together with Abraham, was able to have a child, even though they were too old and Sarah was barren. Abraham believed that God would keep his promise. And so a whole nation came from this one man, Abraham, who was too old to have any children. A nation with so many people that, like the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore, there is no way to count them. All of these faithful ones died without receiving what God had promised them. But they saw it all from a distance and welcomed the promises of God. They agreed that they were no more than foreigners and nomads here on earth. And obviously people who talk like that are looking forward to a country that they can call their own. If they had meant the country they came from, they would have found a way to go back. But they were looking for a better place. We'll ask God to bless his reading, this holy and inspired word. Amen. <clears throat> what I'd like to uh, begin to do here this month is uh, start to lay some groundwork for uh, our fall together and uh, the work that we want to do ultimately uh, this fall. And as we begin to lay that groundwork to do that, uh, that work, um, I want to uh, begin by looking at a series of three words today. Three words. We're going to look at these three words, and then we have to ask, what do these words mean? And then we have to ask, what, are the, what do we do with them? So three words, what do they mean, and what do we do with them? And these are words that uh, the Scripture uses uh, over and over again to describe people who are trying to uh, pay attention to God. Uh, to describe people who are trying to live their lives as though God is present in their midst. And the first word is a word that we met already last week. Uh, we met this word back in Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus 25, we read this sentence. But the land must not be per, uh, held in perpetuity, because the land is mine. God is describing his ownership over the earth. And then he says this, because you are aliens and temporary residents with me. You are aliens. God is speaking to his own people. He's talking to the people of Israel. And as they are living in the land that God holds for them, he is saying to, to, to his own people that they are aliens, that they are foreigners, that they are strangers in this land. They are temporary residents. Then, in 1 Peter chapter 2, the same language gets picked up. And now Peter is not talking to the people of Israel, but now Peter is talking to the church. And Peter says to the church, he says, And you are foreigners and aliens. You are aliens. This is not your home. The land where you live is not your home. The neighborhood you live uh, in is not your home. Your address is not your address. You have no land ownership. Uh, you have no permanent residency. Uh, you should have no expectation of permanence. You're completely reliant on the goodwill of others, on the goodwill of God. This place is not your home. 
And there's something for Peter, and there's something for Moses that is really crucial for God's people to understand that uh, the, this identity as aliens, as foreigners, as sojourners, as temporary residents in this place, it's important for what it means to live as people in the face of God. So aliens is the first word. And then there's a second word. And the second word is nomad. If you uh, go back to the Old Testament and you think about the defining story of God's people in the Old Testament, what is the defining story? The story that roots their identity and grounds who they are, the story that they keep telling over and over and over again. What is the story in the Old Testament? It's the story of the Exodus. That's the picture of redemption. It's the story that constitutes God's people in the Old Testament. It's it's everything in the Old Testament. And so this story of the the Exodus is immediately followed by what? A season in the wilderness. And so for 40 years, God's people, after this defining moment in their history... God says, for 40 years, you will live as nomads. You will live nomadically for 40 years. They live for 40 years as nomads. So think about that for a minute. When God, when God finally has his people together, and, and he has delivered them, he has named them, and now he says, I want to show you what it means to live as my people. I want to show you what it means to know me and to follow me and to be my people in this world. He doesn't say, now we're going to just settle you right down. But he makes them nomads. He, he unsettles them completely and sends them into the wilderness. And then in Hebrews 11, we read that we are nomads that we are nomads. Anybody who is still waiting for the full fulfillment of God's promise is identified as a nomad. Never content to stay in one place. Never content to go back to the land that you came from. But always pressing forward, awaiting the fullness of God's promises. And by the way, don't hear what I'm not saying and don't read what isn't here. Um, when when Hebrews talks about us living as nomads, what it is not saying is that this world doesn't matter. It's not saying this world is not this world doesn't really matter, and so you're just sort of passing through this world until you get to your heavenly world, the world that really matters. Um, there's a version of Christianity that says the whole point of life is to die and to go to heaven. And that's not what we're talking about. That's not the nomadic life that we're talking about. What we're, what we're, we're not saying that, uh, that this is all about someday you'll go to heaven when you die. What this is all about is that heaven is coming to you while you're still alive. That the kingdom of God is coming to you while you are still alive. And that unsettles us. That stirs us and, 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 and launches us into this nomadic life. Heaven coming to me while I'm still alive is unsettling, or at least it should be unsettling, if we realize what's happening. And that's precisely what we see when Jesus comes. 
Because Jesus, uh, in the Gospels, uh, for example, in Matthew 8, says this. He says, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to, li- to lay his head. In other words, when the kingdom of heaven comes, when the, when, the, when the Messiah arrives, the Messiah himself is nomadic. He's homeless. The presence of God in our midst is homeless. And then to even further reinforce this picture of, of, of a nomadic people, when the Gospel of John tries to describe what is happening in Jesus, the language that John reaches for is the language of this exodus moment when God's people are literally nomadic in the wilderness. And, and we're told that, that, that Jesus comes and he tabernacles with us. And the tabernacle is what? It's God's mobile presence with God's people as they live on this nomadic journey in the wilderness. Jesus is a nomadic Messiah. And if you say, I want to follow Jesus, what does that do to your identity? As you follow a nomad. So that's the second word. First word is alien. This world is not our home. This culture is not our culture. This empire is not our empire. And then nomad. Not going back. Not staying put. Never settled. Always pressing forward to God's promises. The third word is exile. To be in exile is to be actively rejected from a place is to be actively rejected by a people. And in the second great story in the Old Testament is the story of an exile. And so God's people live not just as nomads in the wilderness for 40 years, but then they live as exiles in Babylon for 70 years. For 70 years, the core identity of God's people, people who are trying to pay attention to God, people who are trying to figure out what does it mean to be faithful to God, are living as exiles. Technically for 70 years. But even at the time of Jesus, even by the time Jesus returns, there is a whole swath of people in Israel who are saying we're still in exile. The exile has never ended, right up until the time of Jesus. And they walk around with this the self-identity, the self-awareness that they are people who live in exile. And then ultimately, Jesus, as the representative of Israel, comes to the place of maximal exile. And now he is not just rejected by a land, he is not just rejected by a people, but he is even exiled from heaven and he is exiled by God. And on the cross, what does he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's the, it's the cry of an exile. It's the cry of one who's been cast out. So three words. For people who are trying to pay attention to God, people who are trying to ask, what does it mean to live as followers of Jesus? Three words. The first word is alien. The second word is nomad, and the third word is exile. And all of these are are major themes in Scripture. All of these are major ideas in the Scriptures, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. These, These are not minor notes. 
And they're massively important aspects of our identity as God's people. <coughs> and so as, as the era of Christendom comes to a close, let me, let me say something specifically about what I mean when I say as the era of Christendom comes to a close. What I mean is this. Christendom is the age in the West when the church has tried to live as settled, politically powerful, wealthy, entitled inhabitants at peace with and even at one with the empire. In other words, in Christendom, we lose sight of, we lose touch with this identity of being alien and nomad and exile. And we settled in. And we grabbed power. And we took over political structures. And we sort of all got confused and mingled in with the values and the culture and the norms of our age. That's the picture of Christendom. And as that, as that era comes to a conclusion, as, as, as it passes us by, and it is passing us by, it's going away, and it's a land that we can't go back to. We cannot, church, hear me on this. We can't go back to that. It's going away, and we can't go back there. And as it goes away and we can't go back there, what I want to do is wonder with you today, how, how, is, it that we, how is it that we live again as members of God's family who share this, this DNA of being alien and nomad and exile? That's, that's, our, that's the DNA and the bones of God's people. How do we reconnect with that? How do, we, how do we recapture that identity? How do we become more uh, self-aware and intentional about living in this post-Christendom world? As aliens and nomads and exiles. What does it mean for us as a congregation to be that? And so for one thing, if you are a nomad or an uh, alien or an exile... One of the things that it means is that we have to be very, very specific, very, very careful about where we get our values from. Right? We have to be very, very clear about what values are informing who we are. So, for example, the book of Daniel, right? the whole book of Daniel is basically a study of what does it look like to be in exile in a hostile culture, in a foreign land. What does it look like in that place to be consistent with God's values. The whole book of Daniel is about what happens when we don't bow to the rulers of this age. The whole book of Daniel uh, is a call to live in faithfulness to the God who is faithful to you. And to see that there is a sharp difference between the values of this age and the values of God's kingdom. That there's a, a sharp distinction. And when we're willing to make that sharp distinction... Uncomfortable and unpleasant things happen. The book of Daniel, making that distinction, can, can bring you into a furnace. can bring you into a, a, a den of lions. What does it look like to make that distinction? So to live as God's people in this land means that our values 
and our security and our source of power, that none of these come from the culture around us. That, that none of these uh, come uh, from the norms and the values that, that sort of penetrate and, and permeate our culture. That's why the first commandment in the wilderness, right? The very first commandment, the big one, is what? What's the first commandment? <laughs> There's some confusion about what the first commandment was, right? But, the, but this whole idea about not bowing down to any other gods, right? Don't have any other gods before me. Because God says, if you're going to become a nomad, right? if you're going to be in exile, if you're going to be in, in the wilderness, you can't be bowing down to, the, to the, the gods of the cultures that you encounter. You, you can't bow down and worship the gods of the culture. You can't bow down to the gods of the wilderness. You can't bow down and worship them. You can't give up on me. God knows that this is going to be a challenge. Then, it still is. There, there's this constant lure that I experience to bend my knee to the culture that is around us, right? To worship the culture. And that lure is, is, is nearly irresistible. And it's nearly imperceptible. It's irresistible and imperceptible. It's a lethal combination. If we think that the first commandment is just about I don't, you know, I don't, uh, I don't um, worship uh, false gods, and we don't recognize that it's about the culture of those gods, we lose our point of contact with it. Have you thought about the ways that the culture that we live in has lured us um, to bow down? We live in a culture of fear. Right? We live in a culture of fear, and that fear is, is used to instill suspicion and hatred and division, worry. We, we live in a culture of fear. We live in a culture of entertainment. Right? We, we, we're constantly seeking places where we can be entertained, where we can be distracted. We live in a culture of consumerism. What have you done for me lately? And instead of letting our culture shape who we are, and instead of bowing our knee to the values of this empire, if our identity is grounded in God's faithfulness, then our life takes on a completely different shape. <clears throat> in his book, Exile, Michael Frost writes these words. He says, The Christian movement must be the living, breathing promise to society that it is possible to live out the values of Christ. That is, to be a radical, troubling alternative to the power imbalances in this empire. In a world of greed and consumerism, the church ought to be a community of generosity and selflessness. In a host empire that is committed to marginalizing the poor, resisting the place of women, causing suffering to the disenfranchised, and this morning we might well add a culture that is obsessed with violence. From race rioting in our streets to nuclear saber rattling in our White House. In this empire, the Christian community must be generous to a fault pursuant of justice, 
and flushed with mercy. We don't bend the knee. And what's also true is that we all, to one degree or another, bend the knee. Right? All of us, to one degree or another, are shaped by the host empire. All of us are shaped by the values of fear and consumerism and entertainment. We're all shaped by it. And so, as aliens and nomads and exiles, we're always facing what we might call an adaptive challenge. An adaptive challenge. Abraham is given an adaptive challenge. Do you recognize that? Abraham, in, chapter, in, in Hebrews 11 here, uh, is given an adaptive challenge. God says, I am going to bring you to a land that you know not of. I'm going to bring you to a place that you've never been, to a place you've never seen, to a place that you don't know, even once you get there, how you will live there. That's an adaptive challenge. In other words, Abraham cannot just simply keep doing more of the things that he's always done and receive God's promises. Noah is given an adaptive challenge. Right? He cannot merely keep doing the things that he has always done and survive the flood. Something different will have to happen. Sarah <laughs> certainly cannot keep doing the things that she has always done and give birth to the future. The challenges that we face as aliens and nomads and exiles cannot be solved simply by doing more of what we already know. I want you to hear that. So as churches increasingly face the reality that they're stepping into a foreign land, a land that is post-Christian, post-modern, post-logical, as we step into this increasingly foreign land, a land that simply reminds us in many ways that the church and God's people have always been aliens and nomads and exiles. But now as we step into this world and that reminder is fresh, there's an impulse that we will have to say, let's just go back to where we were. right? Let's, let's, let's just do more and better sermons. Let's just do more and better music or more and better Sunday school or, uh, or funnel more money to missionaries. If we do the things that we already know how to do, we'll be fine. And the reason that that is so appealing is because we're all products of our culture. And adaptive work means that we can't just do things differently. But we have to be different. And each one of us has to decide to be different. Each one of us has to decide to be different. That's what, that's what the writer to the Hebrews means when he says that these people were living by faith. That's what faith means. Each one of us. In the Christendom church, the pastor could do it for you. Or the elders could do it for you. Somebody else could do it on your behalf. But 
as we recapture what it means to be aliens and nomads and exiles, as we re-engage this adaptive work, we're confronted once again that this is up to each one of us. Each one of us is responsible. No one can do this adaptive work for you. Let me just give you an example to make that really clear. Right? You go into your doctor's appointment, and your doctor says, well, here's what you need to do. You need to lose some weight. You need to have a better diet. You need to exercise more. Doctor can really, I mean, your doctor can tell you that, right? But what your doctor cannot do is lose weight on your behalf or exercise on your behalf. I wish we could sign up for those. I mean, <laughs> if I could get a surrogate to exercise for me and I would get all the benefits, that would be fantastic, right? Your doctor cannot get healthy for you. That's an adaptive challenge that you are responsible for and that I am responsible for. You are responsible for knowing if and when you bend your knee to the empire or if you are flushed with mercy. You are responsible for being the sort of community here that embodies hope and sets forth an alternative promise to those who have been disenfranchised with our culture. You are responsible for either settling or for following God's invitation to go to a land that you do not yet know of, a future that you cannot yet even see or imagine. Nobody can do that for you. So what can we do? I think we have one slide we're going to take a quick peek at if it can come up in a hurry. If not, uh, you can look in your bulletin. If you have uh, your bulletin, look at page 7, and this is what you'll see. Page 7 describes, conveniently enough, our faith journey. This is intentionally and self-consciously the language of a nomad. It's the language of movement. It's the language of going to a land that we know not of. And it's, and it's, a, it's a faith journey because there's adaptive work that we all have to do. There's responsibility that each one of us carry for doing that work and for living the life of a nomad. Hopefully this isn't the first time you've seen something like this. Right? You may have noticed that for about five years it's been stuck on our uh, wall behind you. And every time you see that wall, uh, this is the message that you get. As you look at this faith journey, one of the things I want you to notice is that it does not describe a destination. It does not describe a place of arrival. But rather it describes the values and the tools that we will need to live as aliens and nomads and exiles. And so for the next several weeks, as we begin to lay the groundwork for what we want to do this fall, we're going to revisit uh, this diagram. We're going to look at the values that we take with us on this journey. The values of authenticity and integrity and courage and love and the way that those values allow us to live together as a nomadic community, as a community of exiles who are offering a glimpse of what it looks like for a group of people to believe that God's promises are possible. We're going to talk about what it means to live out and to grow into those 
to those values. We're going to talk about what does it mean to do um, the work of living as, as God's people in this journey. What are the steps that are involved? What are the tools that we have available? And as we unpack that and as we look at that and as we explore that together over the next several weeks, um, the invitation that I have for you is this. What does it look like for you to be responsible for your own adaptive work? What does it look like for you to be responsible for doing the work of believing God, of trusting in God, of being formed by God as we journey together to this land that we know not of? Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, we do uh, thank you for your presence with us. I pray that you would um, allow us to hear with great certainty and great clarity your invitation to follow you. Our alien, nomadic, exiled Savior. Unsettle us. And even as we are unsettled, help us in that space to find great comfort in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At this time, I'd invite our ushers forward to receive our morning offering. If you did take some time to fill out that purple welcome card, you can place it in the offering plate as it is passed.